Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. fans welcome to bulls edge here a chicago bulls podcast on the blue wire podcast network thank you for joining us today on the show we discussed the bulls losing to the blazers last night if like me you had to i don't know at least for me i suppose i got used to the bulls just just constantly women winning and taking the league by storm and a loss right now kind of feels weird and hollow or at least it did post the, that game against the blazers particularly against that game where it, where it should have probably felt like a win or it was a win at least at half time that was the perspective i had after the game then you remember that the bulls are that they're 10 and 5 they're fifth in the league in net rating and all seems fine again when you're sort of comparing this season to last. So whilst things sucked last night, and we'll get into that in more detail, things are still going well for the Bulls, all things considered. So I'd like to focus on on the positives too. And here to talk to me about all things Bulls is YouTube and Twitter sensation, Rusty Buckets. How are you, sir? Sensation. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd throw it in there. <laughs> Why not? Hello. Hi, I am Rusty Buckets. That's my well, YouTube name. Look, I'm, I'm trying to be more positive this season. Um, I, I know a lot of people like to refer to me as a, a Bulls pessimist, but I, I, you know, I thought I'd throw in the sensation there. Mm. You, well, you've I heard mean, that. It's kind of hard to be pessimistic this time around. I mean, I know fucking Joe Cowley <laughs> or whatever. Oh, can I curse? I forgot. Yeah, yeah. You, you can curse, <laughs> but you can't say his name on the podcast. Ah, well, that guy, he... <laughs> He who shall not be named, he finds yeah. a way to be negative. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see uh, Victor Oladipo in a first round pick leading to this record. So no, certainly not. Certainly not. Well, thankfully, uh, Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley don't don't read the uh, Chicago Sun Times, which is good good to know. But um, yeah, like like I said at the top there, like yesterday, I was I don't know, like. That was annoying because it should have been a win, and at halftime mm-hmm. it was. It felt like it was going to be a very comfortable win, and Let then actually, the third quarter happened. Because I moved out, uh, I can't yeah. watch all the Bulls games with my dad anymore, who is very much a fair weather fan. And now that they're good, <laughs> he's tuning into every single game. But yeah, he yeah. texted me last night, uh, "Sweet and smooth right now," and then he goes, "Good first half. I'm out because he has an <laughs> actual job." 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> not my fault if they lose. And then this morning I just wake up to a well dot 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 damn. <laughs> it's like, what, a 15 well, point go. lead at half? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 15. Yeah. Plus 15 they were. And it, sh- it probably should have been more if the refing in the first half was, was really shit, to be honest with you. Like, that cost the Bulls to a degree. I, w- I won't say it cost them the game because they most certainly ruined that themselves in the third quarter when they had 10 turnovers in the third quarter. But um, they probably should have been up more than 15, all things being equal. But nonetheless, I guess the story for me was that third quarter and just, you know, the, the amount of turnovers that uh, the Bulls committed in that game, it was unlike them. They, they've been like top five, top six in terms of turnover percentage of this season. So they have been good at protecting the ball, but it just went all to went all to hell in that third quarter. I had yeah. no idea what these guys were doing. But, and that, um, and it, felt even, it felt even worse than the numbers made it out yeah. to me. Like it felt worse than mm. 10. Mm. <laughs> It did, it did, and I think maybe it felt worse because there was like several possessions where it was like successive turnovers, maybe three, four, five turnovers in a row type thing. So it was like just gifting the Blazers free opportunities to to go back and get some attempts whilst obviously the Bulls weren't getting any shots up themselves. So they shot themselves in the foot. There was a lot of discourse about that third quarter, the turnovers, and um, I got, got myself involved in it as I typically do. But um, I mean... So much of the conversation was the, the 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 center rotation and how a lot of these turnovers were driven by the fact that Tony Bradley was on the floor or Derek Jones Jr. was out there and the Bulls weren't big enough. And I know I got into a bit of an argument there with my uh, good pal C. Red Fred about this topic and a few other people, to be honest with you as well. But I mean, what 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 did you think the you know in terms of the Bulls falling apart there in the third quarter or even the second half? What 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 do you put that down to? Well, I mean, if we're focusing on the big man thing, I don't have anything in particular that stands out. And, I, and I'll say, uh, because things have been going so well lately, I'm much less frustrated with that game than I probably would be under normal circumstances. But it's like, yeah, I yeah, can take a yeah. little bit of an L after all the positive. Um, <laughs> yeah. In terms of the center rotation, I'm of the opinion that the team just looks significantly better when they're going small, particularly with Derek Jones Jr. at the center spot. And it's mm-hmm. not the fault of Tony Bradley, which I saw you make some tweet about this, but like the guy is a fine 15 minute per game rim protecting, rebounding big man who will finish a layup off of in the dunker spot and stuff like that. But you really can't ask him to do literally anything else. And that's fine. That's what he was signed for. He's a minimum player. He's not expected to be great. Uh yeah. Still a little salty about the fact that he's wearing number 13. But uh, regardless, he's a fine rotation player for spot minutes and for certain situations. Uh, And he's being put in a lot of the similar positions to uh, Vucevic in the offense where he's in the high post and stuff like that trying to throw passes. There was the other game the other day. I don't remember who it was against. but I mean, it might have been Utah where he had like a couple like three turnovers in a quarter that were like all really ugly cuz he was put in these positions where he had to be a decision maker and it's like it's not really his fault it's kind of a similar thing that was um if i can draw a comparison uh Steve Kerr when he was coaching the Warriors after Kevin Durant left and he ran the same exact play that they ran for Kevin Durant for Omari Spellman meanwhile <laughs> Steph Curry is setting an off-ball screen it's like look I understand this is an effective play, but it's only effective with the proper personnel. So they're they're putting Tony in these situations that only work if it's Vucevic. And then people are like yelling at Bradley. And it's like, I think that's more of a a commentary on Billy Donovan, even if I think Billy Donovan is like currently in coach of the year conversations. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I don't understand the uh, scapegoating, let's say, to, to Tony Bradley. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, what what do you expect? That dude has been a journeyman. He's a role guy, signed for a min- minimum deal. Clearly, he's not a starting material player. So why are we surprised that he's making bad decisions, fumbling the ball in the starting unit? And we, we've kind of forgotten that the guy missed well, he was injured in, in the offseason as well. So maybe he's still tuning himself up. He doesn't look like he's in the you know, the best peak physical form, let's say. So I, I just don't understand the discourse sometimes. Like there's so many things there that would, would lead you to believe why he's not going to be an effective starter, clearly. But to your point, like they, they do look so much better with Derek Jones Jr. at center, which is kind of an insane thing to say. But he completely outplayed Anthony Davis the other day. But unfortunately for, for the Bulls, Derek Jones Jr. had five fouls against the Blazers, which yeah. was kind of a reason why... I guess uh, Billy had to throw out Tony Bradley maybe more than what he wanted or why he had to go to Alizé or, or these sorts of things. I mean, we even saw Javante Green at center. So uh, to your point about Billy being an awesome coach this season, which I completely agree with, like I think he's going to win coach of the year. Um, he's, he's clearly mixing it up, but at the same time, like he doesn't have a ton of good options out there. But I, I have liked what I've seen from Derek Jones Jr. at center. I don't know how sustainable it is, but it has been fun nonetheless. Well, I uh, this is a b- beyond the Chicago Bulls thing, but I am mm. kind of at a weird crossroads just with the center position period, where I yeah. kind of feel like it's supposed to be dying, but we're also getting <laughs> so many talented centers that like prevent it from happening. So like yeah. Jokic and Embiid, and I guess you could say Giannis a little bit there, and then AD, and then and to a smaller extent, guys like Vucevic or Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, mm. because they're so damn talented, we can't make this evolution yet because they will burn you. But at the same time, you see all the time where when both teams don't really have a dominant big man, the game always goes away from it. Like uh, the Warriors, they're always going to that death lineup. And I don't remember who I saw them play. No, I, it was when I saw them play the Hornets in person on uh, Tuesday or no, mm-hmm. sa- Sunday. Uh, yep. they, the, the, the Hornets were running Kelly Oubre at center because yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the Warriors were running Draymond Green at center. So it was like, you know, Mason Plumley and Kevon Looney are not going to be the decisive players here. They're not dominant big man. So they're like, we'll just run the small lineup. I think that's where the game will go, but it's the problem is guys like Jokic exist. And it's like, we can't just not have a big player on our roster. Yeah, I completely agree, which is part of the reason why I don't get this whole discourse around the Bulls needing another big, they need another big, all this sort of stuff. Like, I don't really think they do. Like, if Vooch is healthy and Tony Bradley is only playing 10, 15 minutes a game, then I think they've got enough centers, to be honest with you. And what I think they need, and to your point, they probably need more wings, which is kind of insane to say, given how much more wings has been infused into the roster this season compared to, you know, the previous three or four, or just generally through the Garpax era. But it feels like they need one more wing, if anything else, so that they can really counter those small ball lineups. Like, I mean, this is where Patrick Williams would have been obviously very useful, mm-hmm. and we saw glimpses of it where Patrick was thrown out there as a, as a you know the the makeshift center, let's say. But uh, like 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 we saw against the Blazers, Derek Jones Jr., Javante Green is playing center. There was there was periods where he was matching up against Larry Nance. So to your point, like Billy is throwing this around. I think Derek can be small ball center. I'm not actually. I think he can sustain that. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I think it's possible just due to the fact that he's probably best utilized as a center. Like sticking him in the corner to 
just you know shoot spot up threes or having sort of running on the baseline there to to cut off the um Demar and Levine like that can work and we saw that work initially when he started getting minutes but he has been kind of a little mini revelation if you will just being that role guy and getting up and dunking the thing and uh, you know, we all know how we all know about his athletic prowess but the way the guy gets up and the way he can be that role man um he, he certainly feels more comfortable being that role man in that short role even making plays out of the short role than than tony bradley but there is something there they may have stumbled up stumbled upon something and you know that's that's the positive here i guess that even though vooch is out like it hasn't been a complete calamity i mean like the warriors game for example was like that was the first game without vooch but they used that game as an example to maybe you know workshops and things which is why we saw Derek jones become that backup center and maybe the bulls have found some things there yeah, and I think this could be a case where, like, a player wasn't really fitting anywhere naturally, but yeah. then they just get put in this different position and suddenly it's a revelation. Like, I can think of, like, a while back, Marvin Williams going to power forward, like, just yeah, made him yeah, yeah. so much more effective than when he was a small forward. And I think it could be a similar thing with Derek, where it's like, because he can't shoot and he's not really got you know, the the most, like, uh, forward skills necessarily, but he's obviously way faster than fives, generally speaking. He can kind of figure it out at that position more so, and I just, I just really enjoy that version of this roster, especially, like, the team was already, like, a serious threat in the fast break, and then you also have Derek Jones Jr. thrown into the equation. I think it's, it's pretty fun, and I think it's effective, and it gives more versatility, and I think there will be moments... Because I'm really high on the Derek at center thing. I think there will be moments, even when Vooch is back, where Billy favors that lineup, even though, obviously, Vucevic brings way more to the table offensively. But especially, like, closing games and things like that. I would not be surprised if there were possessions where Vooch just sat on the bench uh, so that Derek could be the small ball five, obviously, depending on the matchup. Yeah, completely agree. And, and and as we get deeper into the playoffs, I mean, for the last number of years, like even in the bubble, the, um, the, the, the Heat and Celtics Eastern Conference Finals, it was during those games, there, there was lineups where there was no center on the court. Now, maybe Bam breaks that a little bit because he's that hybrid forward center. But like even in, in like the Raptors, take the Raptors, for example, this season, they don't really play a ton of minutes with a traditional center, let's say. I know they have like Precious and um, Ken Birch and these sorts of guys, but they're not relying on them heaps it's more so the 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 plethora of wings that they have so i I take your point like that's that's the way i like basketball as well and i think that's where things are headed and frankly it's just nice to see the bulls going this way because even last season they were running two traditional big lineups all this all the freaking time but um that hasn't been the case this season at all and you spoke about versatility there and and the fact that you know you can maybe play guys in different positions and that can put them in different uh well that different role put them in a better position to succeed and Maybe transitioning away from the center position, but you know, keeping that same thought process. Like that's why I was super excited about Kobe White returning mm-hmm. this uh, this season. Obviously, he came back against the Lakers for his first game, played his second game against the Blazers. Didn't really impact either game, which to me isn't super surprising. But I don't know. I, I wanted to talk about Kobe because you know they haven't necessarily got him involved in the offense, but I've also have I've, I've kind of liked the fact that he hasn't forced the issue as well. But I don't know what are, what are your thoughts and impressions about Kobe? Do you think he's come back too early? Uh, yeah, let me let me know your well, thoughts. Well, 
if you're considered a negative Bulls fan, then y'all should hear my thoughts <laughs> on Kobe White from the past two years. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I was negative too. I was negative too, I'm, to be fair. I'm sure, but uh, I was very much in the camp of just like, Kobe White is not like going to be a star caliber player, but in as many Bulls fans would hype him up to be. But now in this position that he's currently on with his roster is kind of the role that I thought he was always made to play. Um, yeah. I understand saying that about someone who's in his third year and like what 21 22 years old or whatever is like um kind of weird and people like actually I'm pretty sure he's like 20 because I'm pretty sure he's younger than me but uh he I understand saying like oh you're capping him off there but like sometimes you can just tell with some players yeah, and yeah. it just mm-hmm. it really feels like that's what Kobe's role is made to be so I think he'll be fine where he is. I'll just say the first two games. First of all, it's been very limited minutes, which I think is just a result mm-hmm. of like injury and restriction and all that. Uh, yep. They haven't really looked for him, and that's the thing mm-hmm. is that if you're not looking for Kobe on offense, especially running plays to get him open for threes and stuff like that, which is probably his biggest thing that he brings to the table currently, uh, that not doing that kind of makes playing him pointless. Like, at that point, you'd rather give Io the minutes for his versatility. But uh, I imagine that's just something that has to be adjusted to. And I imagine Billy doesn't want to mess with the formula all too drastically because it's been winning too much. So it's like a awkward situation for Kobe where it's like, we want to get you acclimated, acclimated but we don't want to really want to deal with the negatives of that right now. So it's going to be a process, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. But but at the same time, like the more they limit Kobe for whatever reason, the more I feel very confident about him. Like, and, and that's not to say like these two two games I've you know I've watched Kobe and just been blown away with what he's done because obviously that hasn't been the case. But I like the fact that he hasn't come back in and just been an irrational confidence guy who's disrupted the flow, who's ruined um, how things are currently flowing within the offense, whether it's the first unit, second unit, whatever it may be. Like he hasn't try to force the issue so whilst I, I eventually expect him to round into form and to come off the bench and to you know get up buckets or get up shots to get buckets at the moment like I, I like the fact that he's not forcing things and he even like there's been a few defensive possessions where he's done some nice things as well mm-hmm. so yeah he, he, has, he hasn't been playing many minutes they haven't necessarily been looking for him he hasn't been looking to jack up shots but he hasn't been a detriment in that in that regard either and, and I kind of like yeah. the way he's, he's come back kinda- and approached it that's kind of why I had issues with Kobe before is that like, it's not even yeah. really his fault. It's just that like no one was creating shots besides for Zach Levine. So it kind of fell mm-hmm. into his hands and he just was not good enough at it. Uh, there was yeah. one shot that he took in the first game. I don't remember who they were playing in that game. Uh, the one before the, uh, the, game Lakers? Yesterday. the Lakers. Yeah. He took a pull up mid range shot and I was like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. not yeah. necessary. We already have too many guys doing that. You don't need to do that. Shoot threes. <laughs> like I like him just being mostly a shooter primarily right now and then off the dribble occasionally is cool but like don't I don't want like possessions going down the floor where it's like oh yeah this is a Kobe White possession. Like if he's in the right position to score, go for it, but I don't want it to be like relying on him because we don't need to rely on him anymore. But that's also yep. a benefit because if he has a bad game, it's not nearly as big of a deal as it used to be. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and to your point, like he, he had two attempts against the Blazers and they were both three. So that, that makes sense. But yeah. I guess at the same time as well, like the acclimation process of Kobe is maybe going to be a little bit slower than maybe what it could have been because Vooch is out and like Kobe and Vooch found a, a really nice partnership towards the end of last season. So it probably would have been easier to reintegrate him back into the lineup or at least be a little bit easier. I'm not suggesting he would have played much better, but having that pick and roll partner like with Vooch you know, a player that Kobe got used to playing, that would have been helpful because, like, to be frank, he hasn't really played with any of these guys beyond Zach at the moment. So this is all new for him. We have to remember that. And he's obviously coming back from a, a pretty serious injury, missed all of the offseason. So I'm hoping Bulls fans have expectation low, which is, again, ironic for me to say because I was the Kobe hater last season. But here I am sort of uh, expecting good things, um, being positive around him, and I'm, I'm hopeful that <laughs> I'm hopeful for the rest of the fan base will follow suit. Yeah. What's, but, what's, I mean, what's crazy about the Bulls right now is it doesn't even feel like they're. I'd say they've reached like seventy percent of their offensive potential. Like yeah, they're not even, uh, yeah, especially yeah. with Vucevic's early struggles, Kobe mm-hmm. White not being there yet, and what he can bring to the table. Like I feel like this team could be a lot better offensively, and they're already a top ten offense. Yeah, I completely agree. And the funny thing is, like, at times the half-court offense just stinks. Like, we saw that against the Blazers where – and we've seen it in this previous as well, whether Vooch was playing or not. But, like, beyond DeMar and even at times with DeMar, like, DeRozan did some questionable things last night against the Blazers in the second half. It kind of feels like they lose their way sometimes and they lose their their poise, they lose their control, and they just start doing weird, dumb things. And that was part of the issue as to why they – threw the ball and and had so many turnovers in the third quarter yesterday against the Blazers. But I don't know, when things get tight, when things get um, – when the other team sort of ramps up and starts coming back, like we've seen the Bulls get out of those situations, but we've also seen them get themselves into those situations. I'm thinking about like the Toronto game as well, where like they were just making bad decision after bad decision. Now in that game, DeMar was the difference. Like he settled things and got them got them that win. But against the Blazers, he had a really bad second half. So we, we're saying like it, we need Kobe to, we don't need Kobe right now, but I wonder if we're going to need him quicker or sooner rather than later because I, I, what DeMar is doing right now is insane, but I, I do question how sustainable it is. Um, it, it's amazing. I want to see this continue, but is it likely going to continue at this rate? Probably not. Not. I don't think it needs to either. That, that, that's the main point. But uh, I, I guess if we're going to settle into a situation where DeMar is going to be the main guy and we're going to be riding this guy towards the end, uh, I, I don't know how sustainable that is, I guess. Yeah, I don't know that. Damar being the best player on this team is going to continue throughout the whole season. Like Zach Levine, even though he's been playing good, it feels like he's been a little bit off for sure. Yeah, especially because yep, he's I had agree. that that uh, I don't know if it was a thumb or a wrist injury. It was something with his yeah, hand. Thumb. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, uh, I think Zach will eventually assert himself as the best player. Uh, and then Damar, like. I love Demar, but like the scoring rate that he's has been like better than his prime, uh, and like even though the thing that I was a little a tad disappointed with with Demar, which kind of makes sense with the personnel of the team, and it's not like he's passing up these opportunities, but the playmaking that he started to show, especially last season with the Spurs, I was really excited for what that would look like in the half court. And it's really gone to more and more to scoring. And it's like, I'd like there to be a little bit less scoring, a little bit more playmaking. 
But uh, like I said, personnel situation kind of dictates that with Lonzo and Zach also making plays off of the dribble. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, <laughs> I don't expect, especially, I don't know what his percentages are, but it feels like his mid-range game has been unbelievable. And like DeMar mm-hmm. is one of those players who is act- always like a little bit worse of a mid-range shooter than you actually think he is numbers-wise. Uh, for, like he has a crazy volume, but he shoots in the low 40s, which is enough to justify the volume, but you're not talking like S-tier yeah. mid-range shooters. Uh, yeah. He's been in the S-tier of mid-range shooters to open this year, and I can't imagine, was he 32 years old, that he's going to, that, yeah. that just happens now? Like, mm-hmm. it's not likely. It's not impossible, but it's very rare for that kind of thing to happen. Yeah, I'd love to be wrong. I, I go back and forward on it. Would love well, to yeah, be wrong. I mean, yeah, for sure. But like, I mean, this is where I go back and forward on it. Like, Demar is probably on an unsustainable run here, which is fine. Like, if if this is the 110 percent version of himself coming back to 95, 100 percent, like he's still going to have an extremely good player. But where I go back and forward on this whole thing is like he hasn't been in a situation like this before, where he's had a player next to him like Zach who can take the primary defensive player. Uh, from the the opposition that is, and nor has he played with a center who ha- is as skilled as uh, as Vooch, to be frank. So like there's, mm-hmm. and, and you know you add in Lonzo and Caruso as well, who are the main guys taking the defensive re- responsibility. Like you're not know, putting Demar on a real, I guess a real threat. Let's say um, from an offensive standpoint. So there's a lot of things that the Bulls have done to to maximize the best of Demar whilst minimizing you know his true weaknesses. So whilst I'm not expecting him to maintain, you know, 26.6 points per game on 50% shooting, 35% from three, those sorts of things, I don't know how much it's going to come down. Like maybe you'll eventually come down to like 23, 24, something yeah. like that. But I, I still think they they're getting the best version of Demar now, based on all of his experience, uh. based on how the team is constructed. So yeah, it, it's an interesting one. But you 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 touched on a point that I wanted to talk about anyway, like. It's kind of insane to say this, given that Zach is averaging 26 points per game, is almost at 50, 40, 90. Um, like, like those stats are just insane. But I don't even know if he's playing that good, to be honest with you, or at least not anywhere close to the, the peak version of Zach. Like there's been games where his decision-making, I think, has been poor. Like the, the two Sixers game come to mind. It might have been the Sixers game that I'm thinking of. I just yeah. remember there was one game where there was a fourth quarter that was like, yeah, yeah that one yeah. was on the Sixers Zach. Game. Yeah, that that was bad. But like even yesterday against the Blazers, like he shot really well. Like he had uh, 11 of 20 from the field. Like you take that every day of the week, 55%, 7 of 12 from the three-point line. So you read that and it reads extremely well, 30 points on 20 shots like he got to he got 12 threes up which is extremely important like he's starting to get back to the three-point line which is a thing that wasn't happening through the first 10 games but it started to emerge also now. with his uh injury it seemed like he was just missing those more especially when it was fresh but yeah, then yeah. he's more yeah. confident now but like I, like even despite that there's things that he's doing out there from a decision-making standpoint where i'm like oh, I, I don't know if he's playing it a peak version of himself like it kind of feels like he's still getting used to the fact that he's actually supported now with by good players and like he doesn't need to double clutch some of these jumpers or take a, a difficult spinning mid-range jumper or these sorts of things it's like just you just get those two or three bad positions out of your game and, yeah. and you can go to an even better level it, it feels but, like um, there's an obligatory like two or three post fades from him a game and it's like that's just not yeah. necessary doesn't really it, it goes in sometimes but like i'd rather just have an offensive set than just hey, let's just 
throw away a possession on this shot. Similar to like the Vucevic post-ups where it's like, yeah, it's not the worst offense, but like we can do something yeah. better every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there was this position that springs to mind from the Portland game. I was either the third quarter or fourth quarter, but he, he was in the mid-range. He was dribbling hard to his right, uh, picked up his dribble. There wasn't a pass uh, immediately available. So he starts spinning on the spot, um, pivoting around and ultimately just ends up taking a uh, a 20-foot a fadeaway mid-range jumper, which predictably doesn't go in because it's a low percentage shot. And I know it's not a turnover, but it kind of feels like a turnover. And those those are the types of possessions where I'm referencing where if Zach could just clean those, thing up, those things up, maybe just clean up some of his turnovers as well, some of the bad turnovers, then... I don't know. Like, I, it's it's insane to say. Like I said, based on his percentages, but I still don't think he's playing anywhere near his peak form. Which is again ironic to say, given that he had some just amazing defensive possessions against the Blazers uh, last night as well. There was one isolation possession where he was matched up on Dame in the fourth quarter, where he completely stonewalled him. So like, Zach is making leaps. He's doing things well on the floor. So don't get me wrong to anyone listening to this, but at the same time, like. I don't know if he's met my expectations and, and maybe that's partly just my fault because I had such high expectations and I'm not saying he's playing bad, but I also don't think he's reached peak form either, which is uh, going back to your comment around the offense, you know, sort of humming along around 70% of what it ultimately can be like the scope in Zach to be better too. Yeah. I think if you weren't watching games and you just checked the box score, it'd be like, oh yeah, Zach Levine's been fine, but it's definitely not quite the same. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, for sure, for sure. It, even if he just remained at this level, it's still very good. It's just not quite what it could be. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. But it feels, I mean, it I, feels I, weird to get nitpicky right now. Like it, things are going yeah. so good. And I felt justified <laughs> being nitpicky when we fucking sucked. <laughs> like yeah. the team's good. So like, sure, there are things that could be improved. The 72 and 10 Bulls could have won 10 more games. But like, I'm not really going to complain about it too much right now. Yeah, no, I I totally get that, and uh, I I guess I I have a tendency to get nitpicky, and that's and that's fair. But uh, I, I at the same time, like that's exactly how I feel about this discourse around the whole center thing. Like people, you know, banging on about the not enough bigs. Like Tony Bradley and Vooch are big enough. I, I won't get into that again. Mm-hmm. But n- nonetheless, like uh, <laughs> that's just more I, traditional I, I, basketball people who don't understand yeah. where the game is going. Potentially, like a. See Red Fred potentially. <laughs> Shout out to See Red Fred if you're listening. Hope you. Uh-huh. He's probably not listening. Why would he be listening? But um, if you are, uh, take that slander on the chest, mate. But uh, another thing that I keep constantly keep coming back to with this team, like I'm amazed by the debt level of defense that Caruso and and Lanlonzo Ball are bringing to this team right now. Like Caruso absolutely owned owned CJ McCollum in that first quarter uh, against the Blazers. Lonzo Ball was doing some amazing things defensively on Dame as well. And I was sitting back wondering earlier in the season, like what the hell would the Bulls record be without DeRozan? But at the same time, like you think about this too and extend this, this that thought process to Caruso and Ball. Like, I mean, what version of Damari are you getting without Caruso and Ball? What What is the, the Bulls record without these two guys? Like they have completely remodeled and shifted the way this team operates to the point where it, 
It doesn't even make sense. Like Caruso was one assist shy of a triple double yesterday. Played amazing defense as he typically does. I have no no idea what the Lakers were doing getting rid of him. And you know, I'm, I'm obviously very thankful. But similarly as well, like what the hell are the, were the Pelicans doing getting rid of Lonzo Ball? It, it makes no sense to me because these two guys have just been so damn good. And and I'm um, I'm very thankful that they're ended, they've ended up in Chicago. I am very happy to benefit off of other franchises' incompetence. Yes, <laughs> I will say it's, it's I'm nice. also I feel very vindicated about the both of them because mm-hmm. when they signed Caruso I didn't I didn't see that one coming whatsoever but when they did and I saw everyone saying he was overpaid I was like you don't know shit about Alex Caruso other than the memes so <laughs> shut up and actually watch him play because the dude is just one of those players who's gonna win you games with the little things uh, and then Lonzo Ball back in 2017 or not 2017 2018 when the Bulls got the seventh pick yet again, I was fully in the camp of, and this is when he was on the Lakers, so he was not proceed very well. I was like, trade that pick for Lonzo Ball right now. It's the right decision. And now he's here these two years, or three years later, and he's fan favorite, Lonzo is. Alex Caruso, same thing. So the point is, I was right, and you're all fools. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, even even beyond that, there was I think the Kobe draft as well um, when he ended up with the Pelicans, or you know, was when that whole thing was happening with Zion and AD. Like, I know that there was a lot of chatter amongst the fan base to go in and grab Lonzo. Then, obviously, the year after that as well, around the deadline with the whole Lowry for Lonzo thing, like he's clearly been a, a focus of some within the fan base and even within the team. To be honest with you, whether it's the AK. Uh, regime or maybe even the Garpax regime maybe they had some eyes on him too but nonetheless like again like going back to what I said before I, I just don't know what the record of this team would be like it certainly wouldn't be a good one what's also great about those two is that it's like it's infectious like DeMar and Zach yeah, are playing 100%. the best defense of their careers right now and I think it's just mm-hmm. because what those guys are doing just bleeds into their play and like they're not great but like you see them consistently at the very least putting in the effort uh, there are a couple of possessions that stand out to me, especially in the um, Warriors game with Zach, where he just fell asleep at the wheel because he has those happen sometimes, especially off the ball. But like mm-hmm. by comparison to what those guys have been for their career, like Demar has been a plus defender and Zach has been a neutral, if not plus defender, and that's a lot to say for the both of them. Yeah, and like move and, and bringing that to the offensive side of the ball, like Zach threw a pass against the Lakers, which. In the moment, I thought was maybe the best pass he's ever thrown in his career. Maybe I was wrong in that in saying that, but like the play before, like Lonzo threw or grabbed a rebound and threw a, a you know basically a full court pass or a three quarter court pass up to Levine for a dunk against against the Lakers, and it was just you know beautiful basketball. Just did a, a very Lonzo typical thing, but then literally the next possession, Zach gets the ball again in a similar spot, three quarter court, and he hurls down a, a, a just a, an amazing pass to Lonzo yeah. for the transition bucket. I so remember like when thinking you're talking during about, that pass, I was like, I don't know that I've seen Zach throw a pass that good yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. And it was very like, casual. It, it was very casual. No one really freaked out about it. And I was like, that was kind of insane. <laughs> For sure, like you, we haven't seen that sort of thing from Zach before, at least not consistently. But to your point around, you know, the the value that Lonzo and, and Caruso bring and the way they play is maybe infusing itself into others. Like that was a a direct example for me of of where I've seen that. I will say, up until the last two games, because he went off versus the Lakers, went off versus well, not quite as much versus the Blazers, but uh, he he had a lot of good drives in that game. Uh, 
Lonzo did seem a bit disappointing scoring the ball wise, but now yeah. those two games have just elevated his numbers so much where he's like at 13 points now, 45% from three on seven attempts, which is absolutely bonkers. Uh, and, you know, I can't complain too much because of the defense that he's bringing to the table, but I did want a little bit more from him scoring the ball wise. But uh, again, I, I, I feel a little silly harping on this stuff too much because yeah and and going back to your comment about the nitpicking thing like i catch myself like getting annoyed when lonzo ever whenever he takes a shot within the within the three-point line like just just don't do that i hate it when he goes for a layup and predictably misses having said that he had a couple couple of nice finishes inside last night but like even some of his mid-range jumpers as well i'm like why are you shooting that but again it's it's nitpicking because 99% 99% of his game has just been so damn good with the, last, with the ball. Last so. year, he took a significant leap percentage-wise on the mid-range shots, but like, yeah, yeah. it's really not necessary from you. Like, that's not... Mm-hmm. We, we have yeah. two of the best mid-range... Uh, three, if you want to count Vucevic in the pick-and-pop, at least not this year so far, but should be best mid-range shooters in the league, three of them uh, mm-hmm. up there. Not really necessary for him, and that's my same gripe with that kobe white pull up where i was like we really don't need you taking that shot it's just not necessary yeah no no i completely agree and another takeaway that i had from this blazers game and just more generally watching this team over the season was i'm kind of more confident in the defense right now than the offense to the point where like the bulls currently sitting at ninth in defensive rating they're ninth in offensive rating so that you know to be top 10 in both is is obviously huge and like i mentioned at the top they're fifth in net in net rating but at this moment in time, which is kind of insane to think about, like I didn't think they were going to be a good defense, maybe an average defense, but to the fact where I have more confidence in them now being a better defensive team than offensive team, that's it's kind of strange and wild to me. But I mean, where, like I said, where it sits right now, they're both they're ninth in both offensive rating and defensive rating. I mean, ultimately, where do you feel they sit in both of those things? Do you feel more confident in the defense, or like you mentioned before, where they're only operating at seventy percent, maybe on offense? Do you think ultimately the offense will be more pow- uh, powerful than the defense? Uh, I mean, I think as the season goes along, the Bulls will crack to like at least pushing like a top five offense. And in the defense, okay. honestly, I mean, I feel vindicated once again uh, with the defense thing because I was arguing all off seasons like you motherfuckers saying that the Bulls are going to be a <laughs> bad defense. I am telling you they're not. Now, when they were like for like the first two weeks of the season, they were like top five. Wasn't expecting yeah. that to maintain itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think yeah. they can remain a top 10 defense. If you would have told me before the season started, they'd be like the ninth best defense. I'd have been like, yeah, it sounds reasonable. But my main argument, like, if you would have, if you said, oh, they'll be like the 15th, I was not going to get mad at you for that. But people were like, oh, they're going to be the worst defense in the league. I was like, shut the fuck up. There's so many teams with way worse defensive personnel who don't have a coach that's known for their defensive prowess. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah. they're not going to be the worst defense in the league or anything in that category. So that's yeah. nice. But I think they can maintain the defense, especially because. I think a lot of it, I think it's been both good from the personnel and the coaching standpoint. And rarely do you get both of those to the extreme that the Bulls have had it. Um, and then uh, offensively, like I said, I don't think they're near their potential yet. And I'm pretty confident they can get there. Yeah, 100%. And so much of regular season defense is about scheming, but also just turning up every single game. And to your point about Billy Donovan coaching a good defense, like, Every single one of these players right now is completely engaged. He has them within his 
Uh, like he's clearly obviously got something through to this team where they're, they're all playing for him and they're all doing what is what is expected of him. Like you mentioned before, DeMar and, and Levine, whilst they're not perfect defensive players, they're making defensive plays. So yeah, it, it has been shocking to a degree. Like I, I was one of those persons that thought that would be maybe somewhere between 13 and 17 on defense, which I would still be, re- like if, if that was ultimately where they were, if they ultimately fell as a 13 defense, 13th best defensive team in the NBA, but were a top 10 uh, offense, like that's still a very, very good team. So, but for them to be, you know, nine, ninth that they are, as they are now, but they've been higher even before, like, that's where things where we can start talking about this team being more than a you know a first round team and maybe being something a little bit more. So it's interesting how it's going to play out, and I guess what potentially may lead to them being something more than a first round team is the way they started racking up wins. So they're two and two on this West Coast trip. They've got one more game here coming up against the uh, the Nuggets on Friday night. Do you think there any chance to get a tough road win in Denver, which has traditionally been something hard or something the Bulls haven't really done well? And uh, a lot of, to be fair, a lot of teams don't do that well, given the uh, the altitude there in Denver and the fact that you know they've got the damn MVP on their team. So, do you think there's any chance at all that they could maybe sneak out a win here? And I know we talked about the center rotation, the the viability of small ball here, but does someone like Jokic just completely break that? Yeah. Well. Hot take here. Uh, Jokic <laughs> is a whole lot better than Anthony Davis. And oh, yeah, easy. Specifically Davis. for like talking about that defensive scheme that they put up against AD, like Jokic is way better at punishing you physically. That's one of my biggest gripes with Anthony Davis. And then also yeah. the personnel on the Nuggets, while it's not nearly as good as it should be because of all the injuries and stuff, uh, I think they're better shooting team from outside for sure you can't exploit Westbrook and things like that um and Jokic is way more capable of finding the open man so if you run that small ball and you're trying to throw double teams at him constantly he's gonna make the right pass and the thing is I'd rather give Austin Rivers I'd rather have Austin Rivers beat us than Jokic but (laughs) yeah Austin Rivers beating us is more likely than Kent Bazemore or whatever uh so to that end, uh, I think they run a similar scheme. I think it's just notably less effective. Uh, and then you're going to have to beat them on the offensive end, which is weird because the Nuggets have been weirdly good defensively, especially from the, the, the jump that Jokic has taken on that end. Um, I think it's possible, but I'm not banking on it. I was really hoping to beat the Blazers because I was pretty confident they weren't going to beat the Nuggets. But at the same yeah. time... The Nuggets offense right now is a Jokic solo act. The, mm-hmm. the thing is, though, it's a damn good solo act. Yeah, for sure. And to your point, they're 17th on within offensive rating. They're third in defensive rating. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of... I wasn't expecting that, to be honest with you. But to your point, like around that Blazers loss, like now that you said that, like the fact that, you know, you were expecting a loss to the Nuggets, like I... I felt this, but I don't know why. I didn't think of it myself, but maybe that's why I was annoyed about losing that Blazers game because you could have ended the road trip three and two if you just assumed that Denver loss was good or that Denver game was going to be a loss, which I'm assuming it will be. But I don't know. Like maybe I was expecting them to 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 lose to the Lakers as well because I thought AD was going to just completely truck this small lineup. But I don't know. AD's. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that dude. But yeah, he's no Jokic. He's not. He's not anywhere close to that guy. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of scared the... of this game. But at the same time, like 
coming back to what we've been saying about nitpicking and expectations and those sorts of things, I think I would have taken a two and three record on this five game road trip, having known that literally before they were jetting off, Vucevic was out with COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess that's a perspective that we ha- we need to have if they will, for whatever reason, drop this game. Yeah, it's just like the higher you go, the harder you fall or whatever. It's like they've been yeah, winning yeah. so much, so the expectation gets a little bit higher. Uh, like initially going into this like three-week stretch of November that was like a brutal schedule, we were all mm-hmm. collectively like, if they escape 500, we're good. And then now mm-hmm. I think overall they're definitely above 500 for this for November. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they're going to not close it out quite as strong, assuming that they do lose that Nuggets game, will be a tad disappointing. But at the same time, going back a month ago, we would have been cool with it. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, when they get back home, uh, Sunday night they've got the Knicks. Monday night they've got the Pacers, two teams who aren't really playing good basketball at the moment. Um, and followed up by on Wednesday night, they've got the, they hit the road again. They go to Houston. And then they hit the road again on Friday night against the Magic. So I won't say they go will go four and zero once they get back from this road uh, this road trip, this West Coast road trip. But they've got four games coming up that are against you know winnable games. Let's say at least three of those games are below five hundred teams. The Knicks are playing below five hundred basketball at the moment. They lost the other day to the uh, the Orlando Magic. So. Yeah, I really, it's, it's I really still... need that win versus the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't handle them losing that another game to the Knicks, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm confident that that won't happen given how the Knicks are playing at the moment. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. but look, nonetheless, win. we'll see how things go. But uh, look, mate, I appreciate you jumping on the pod, man. It's mm-hmm. fun to talk to you again. Um, things, I think, last time we spoke, it was definitely not. Oh, yeah. You know, good things weren't happening on from a Bulls standpoint. We were talking about Jim Boylan and all that nonsense. Um, to be nitpicking small things now, it, it feels kind of ridiculous. Was that the last time I was but, on this? We talked about Jim Boylan. Uh, I'm assuming so. Like, I don't. I don't think he came on last season. I, th- I would have. I assume it was during the Jim Boylan era, and I think we were cursing about Jim Boylan. So, um, if if that is true, uh, a lot of good things have happened since. So we have to keep that perspective too. That man so, brought uh, so much pain to my life. <laughs> <laughs> thankful. Oh, I was going to say thankfully it's over, but I mean he's he's found his way. Uh, he's found that bald head of his has found a way to get on TV somehow. So. Um, I don't know who he knows, who he's got over someone or, or whatever the deal is, but how this guy continually turns up and gets gigs. I mean, he's coaching he's not, Team USA as well. As long as he's not coaching my team, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> fair. Fair. Just, just get him away, I suppose. But uh, yeah. look, mate, nonetheless, thanks for jumping on. I mentioned at the top there that you are a YouTube and Twitter sensation. So I don't feel like I need to tell people where to follow you because uh-huh. they probably already are. But um, maybe, uh, you know, just in the rare chance that someone isn't, just let them know where they can catch I'll up. I'll say Twitter, you get very different content than you do from my YouTube <laughs> channels. Uh, my main <laughs> channel is Rusty Buckets, and then my second channel is very creatively named Also Rusty Buckets. On that <laughs> channel, I do post-game recaps, just talking about every, uh, not every game, but like three or four games a night, and then every Bulls game, because I'm checking that. So if you're looking for Bulls commentary specifically, I'm pretty much talking about every Bulls game on that channel whenever they happen and then my main channel is just nba topics in general and i know this video would interest you i'm about to do a deep dive on how mental health is discussed in sports specifically talking about the ben simmons uh situation definitely uh, i'll definitely be catching that one uh the, the, the discourse around ben simmons is ridiculous at the moment um i won't get into it because i'll go on a, a long long rant and i'm sure you will be doing so in your video as well so uh, i'll save yeah. it for the 
I'm sure and, and the responses you're going to get get to that was going to be uh, very, very interesting. But uh, we'll, we'll leave that one there, I suppose, because it's, uh, like I said, I could go on and rant for that one for, for a number of reasons and for a number of obvious bias reasons as well. But nonetheless, mate, I appreciate you, can you coming on. You hear the along. bias in the accent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, thanks again for stopping by on yep. Balls HQ. Whilst yep. you guys are out there following Sir Rusty Buckets there on Twitter and YouTube and all that sort of stuff, the guy's just dominating that space. Uh, if you want to throw me a follow out there too at MK Hoops, follow the shoot on Twitter as well at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to be part of Bulls HQ Discord, join up now, but either via sending me a DM on Twitter or you can actually find an invite to the, the Discord in the episode description of this episode. Uh, as always, subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast with your friends, all that sort of stuff. It helps a lot. Um, and if nothing else, it really helps my ego. Um, lastly, any suggestions, questions, or ideas for the show, um, drop me an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. I'm always happy to hear from the listeners. But uh, that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Again, thanks to for uh, for Rusty for jumping on. Unfortunately, the Bulls, the Bulls you know, dropped the game here. I would have preferred to have been talking about a win, but... Um, like we said, things are still uh, pretty rosy from a Bulls point of view, and I'm assuming that's going to continue for the rest of the season. And as it does, obviously, there'll be more episodes of Bulls HQ coming your way. And uh, the next episode of the show should be a a different one, a special one. I'll leave it at that. I won't uh, give away too much details, but it's going to be a little bit of a different feel. But nonetheless, I um, appreciate everyone tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.